I have a dream. I have a dream. These words were forever ingrained into American history when Martin Luther King Jr. spoke them on August 28, 1963. Look around you, and you can see that dream came true today, and it's absolutely beautiful, isn't it? Well, welcome everybody to Crosswinds Church. My name is Jason, and I just wanted to welcome everybody here. Whether you are here in person or you're watching online, we are so glad to have you. Uh, I am the worship production leader, if you've never met me, and I am so glad that you could be here. And while Martin Luther King Jr. was able to ingrain those words into American history, that speech actually has been studied so much. It, in fact, it's one of the most studied speeches in world history. Um, if you look at it in throughout everything, it's highly regarded as one of the best speeches that we have in recorded history. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, I mean, just those four simple words, I have a dream, are so powerful. Yet, when was the last time any of us thought of that powerful statement? I have a dream. And when have any of us thought of this more powerful statement? God has a dream. And... God ingrained his dream in world history back in 5 BC with the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is what the Christmas story is all about and what the season of Christmas is all about, isn't it? You see, Dr. King's dream was that little black children would be able to join hands with little white children as sisters and brothers in Alabama. But God, God's dream is so much bigger. He dreamt that through his son, Jesus Christ, that little black children would join hands with little white children, who would join hands with little Asian children, who would join hands with children from Europe, and join hands from children with Africa, and North America, and South America, and Asia, and... Australia, and everywhere in between. And that is so much better because they will all join hands as brothers and, Christ, uh, and sisters through Christ Jesus. And now I've never met such a group of people as welcoming and who have an immediate bond like Christians do. And that bond is because God dared to dream a dream as large as he did. And that dream encompassed not just one part of the world, but every single part of it. But did you know just how God's dream came to be? And how we can be so certain that it truly is his dream and his plan? Well, the nice part is that he really kind of spelled it out in the Gospels. 
And today, we're going to be looking through the Gospel of Matthew. Now, this is going to be kind of a long series here, and we're going to go through a lot of scripture here, but we're going to be bouncing a bit. So bear with me, because it's a bit. So if you've got your Bibles with you, or if you've got your app, pull it out. We're going to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start right in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I love the very first line here. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So we already have Matthew kind of stating, like, what we're about to read is how Jesus was born. All of this, all of what we're going to read is the story of Jesus' birth, okay? And not just the story of Jesus' birth, but how he's going to survive his birth. Because there's a lot to it, all right? Now, there's a bit of a buildup and a background that we kind of have to understand here, all right? You see, before this point, all the Jewish people had was the books of the Old Testament, right? Or the Jewish Bible. So we've got the, you know, prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Micah, the books of Moses, etc. So that's our Old Testament that we have today. And you see, if you kind of think of it like a musical, and I'm sorry, but I was a theater major when I grew up, so you're going to have to go with me on this bit of a journey here. Uh, that is the first act of God's plan, right? The Old Testament. It's building up to what God really wants from us, which is the second act, the New Testament. And right beforehand, between Acts 1 and Acts 2, if you know anything about musicals, there's an intermission, right? Where everything stops and nothing happens. You go, you take a break, you get some refreshments, etc. So what's happened here? Well, if you look throughout history, there's been a 400-year drought of prophets 
There's not been a prophet for 400 years for Israel. This is the intermission that God has been planning. 400 years. Nobody has had a prophet. They've just been waiting. God has had this buildup of an intermission going, hey, the second act is coming, and it's going to be big, right? So, and chronologically, if you really were to read the Old Testament chronologically, it is a cacophony of noise. Ezekiel and, like, Daniel are kind of happening a little bit, you know, at the same time in certain places. And, you know, a lot of the prophets are all kind of happening all at once. And you would have a lot of people kind of telling Israel, you need to repent now because you're all sinning and you're all getting away from God. (laughs) And something big needs to happen because we are all messing up. So God needs to have something big happen. And again, if you know anything about musicals, sometimes... What happens is people are singing over each other. My favorite musical, for example, Jekyll and Hyde, has literally four people singing on top of each other all at once, and you're trying to hear all of them at the same time. It's beautiful, but it's a cacophony of noise right before the intermission. (laughs) Now, before we get into this, look at what happens here. God is giving Joseph a dream, right? Do not divorce Mary because you love Mary. I know you want to divorce Mary because you love her, because you are a just man and you love your to-be wife and you don't want to besmirch her, but that's exactly why you should marry her. You love her and you are going to love this child. Because this child is for me, and I love this child too. This is one father speaking to another father, saying, hey, we need to love on this child right here. Please do not divorce Mary. So God is kind of taking away Joseph's distraction and saying, go forward with this and put all the focus on Jesus here. Now, before um, this point in the Bible, there's only been 15 dreams, okay? And most of them are in Genesis. A couple are in Daniel, but most of them come from Genesis. So there's not really been many dreams that people have been having. And now Joseph has one from God. So this is pretty big news, right? And it's right from the father, one father to another. This is kind of a key takeaway that we're going to get here. It's a a theme that's going to happen. God coming and saying from one father to another, do this because this is for my son. Now, of course, Joseph loved Mary. We all know this. And God is going to guide him in that love. And it's something that's wonderful. 
because we know that God loves each and every one of us, right? He is not only the father of Jesus, but he is our father as well. He created each and every one of us in his image. And he's going to show us his love through all of these dreams. Now, the story of Jesus' birth continues in a second dream that he gives. Now, we're going to skip a little bit and go to Matthew 2-7 because and we're kind of just skipping a little bit where the wise men are kind of seeking Jesus and King Herod is troubled by this. So, King Herod is summoning them. So, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So here we have a second dream that God is giving. This is a second dream in a very short time that God is giving. God is being very, very generous with his dreams. But look at who this dream is coming to, right? Wise men. Now, it's very interesting when you look at who these wise men are. Another name for these wise men were magi, right? If you look at the Greek. Now, if you look at the book of Daniel, the magi, that's kind of really the only time we see the word being used. Now, Daniel was kind of appointed over the magi but was never called a magi himself, even though he could interpret dreams and he was kind of over them. And he was teaching them and he was teaching other Jewish people, you know, astrology and, you know, the ways of the magi. So we know, or at least many biblical scholars kind of interpret that these magi are not Jewish. They're Gentiles. This dream from God to avoid Herod is coming to a Gentile. Even God is speaking to a Gentile people. And why is that so important? Because the birth of Christ was meant to unite the Jewish people and the Gentiles, right? 
Christ even says he did not come to save those who were already saved. He came for those who were lost. He came for Jews and Gentiles both. And this right here, God is speaking to both. He speaks to Joseph, a son, a direct line of David, who is a Jew. And he's speaking to these magi, Gentiles, who don't believe and who immediately trust in this star, who trust that this is the king of the Jews. And that's another thing that they kind of say in Matthew that kind of leads us to know that they're not Jewish. Because if they were, they would say, hey, we're looking for the king of Israel, not the king of the Jews. Now, they also kind of trust that this is, you know, God and the Messiah. And why did they bring these particular gifts, right? Well, you know, they want to honor the king of the Jews, right? And that's kind of what we do when we give our offering every Sunday, is we are offering our honor to Jesus, just like they do. Now, the amazing part is they did not worship Mary. They did not worship Joseph. They worshiped Jesus directly, even though he was just a baby. They knew he was the Messiah, even with how young he was. And now, obviously, Jesus can't use these gifts, right? He, he, is, he is a baby. He can't go out and he can't spend them. He can't do that. But these wise men knew and they trusted that Mary and Joseph would use those gifts appropriately, just like we trust that our church will use the gifts that we give to Jesus every Sunday. Right, Mike? We do. Yes. <laughs> I figured I'd, you know, give that a little, little bit of a plug. But that's actually also what was kind of on my heart, right? In my notes, I promise. <laughs> um, so this is just an amazing amount of trust that we have here. Trusting in what God is leading us to do, just like what the wise men are trusting God with this message. They didn't have to. They didn't believe in God. And yet, they trust him to not go tell Herod what they saw in Bethlehem. And Jesus survives because of it. So how else does Jesus survive his birth? So, let's look at Matthew verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt 
and remain there until the death of Herat. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, many um, prophets had thought that line, out of Egypt I called my son, was speaking about Israel as a whole. They thought that this was already fulfilled when Israel came out of Egypt in the Exodus. And yet, it was about to be fulfilled a second time through Christ Jesus here. And this is why Matthew kind of spells it out in plain terms, just like John does with other prophecies. And here again, we have this third dream coming to Joseph. Rise, flee to Egypt. Another act of a father's unconditional love. Save my son. Get him out of harm's way. Right? Parents, think about that for just one second. Is there anything that you would not do to protect your child. If you knew your child was in danger right this second, would you not do everything in your power to just grab them and get them out of the way? Every parent knows that they would be doing everything to get their child out of the way. That's what a good parent does. They save their child. And here, our Father in heaven is protecting his child, but not just his child, every single one of his children. Because by saving Jesus here, he saves every single one of us. Because he needs Jesus to live so that he can fulfill the ultimate promise to us on the cross. Now, a little bit of history for you here. King Harad himself was an absolute tyrant. He wanted nothing more than to save his own rule. He wanted nothing more than to basically... I mean, really, he was kind of like King Nebuchadnezzar. He was, he was narcissistic. He thought only of himself. He wanted nothing to challenge his rule. So when he heard the king of the Jews had been born, he killed every single child under the age of two just to make sure that he would not miss killing the king of the Jews, Jesus. Ironically enough, he missed. And Jesus flees to Egypt with Joseph and Mary, about one of the only children that ends up being saved that night. It's a very sad night. Now, we go to verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. So here we have our fourth dream. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So we have our fourth dream and our fifth dream. Five different dreams make up the story of the birth of Christ. This is God's dream for us, for Christ, that Christ would be born. And look at these dreams. Look at the simplicity of them. Bring my child home. Keep my child safe. Parents, if your child was away from you, would you not want them back? Bring my child home to me. I mean, a child who is not in their home, bring them home. Keep them safe. That is, again, every parent's true wish for their children. And that is exactly what Christ and what God is trying to do here, right? God, the Father, is so intelligent with these dreams. Bring my child home. He brings Jesus home to Israel, to the promised land. But also, all of us as his children, he wants us home in heaven with him. And we can only get there through his son, Christ Jesus. So he needs to bring Jesus home first. Keep my child safe. He keeps Jesus safe. So that way, he can keep us safe, ultimately. Safe from sin. Safe from all of that. Safe from the temptations of the devil. Safe from demons. Safe from all of that. It's amazing what God the Father does by keeping his son safe. Now, Again, a little history lesson here. Archelaus was just as bad as King Herod, which is why he had to keep Jesus safe. He was ruling over a region that encompassed all of Judea, as well as the area north of it and the area south of it. So when you hear that they could not go to this region, I want you to just imagine what had to happen here. This is basically the Exodus 2.0, okay? Because Joseph and Mary were about to go and went, oh, we can't go that way. So they had to go all the way around the Dead Sea and cross over the Jordan to get to Nazareth, just like the Israelites had to do when they came through Israel the first time and into the promised land. 
it's all over again. It's amazing how God plans all of this. Now, Joseph, throughout all of this, basically acts as a servant of God, even though he is the father of Christ. And so did many of the prophets. Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. Jeremiah, he was sent. Ezekiel was the only person there to be sent. All of them were servants of the Lord. And all of us are servants of the Lord as well. And Jesus will be a servant of the Lord as well. We have to be servants of the Lord for Christ in our ministry as well. Now, God had planned this for all of us so far in advance and so wholeheartedly that it was his dream to make it happen. And guess what? He is still talking to us today, just as he did back then. Now, he talked in dreams here, but he talks in so many different ways to each and every one of us. Now, he might still talk in dreams, right? And I hear what you might be saying. Dream interpretation is a rare gift, Jason. And I would agree with you. It absolutely is. Not going to drop my book. Um, but if God is, you know, like, yes, it is. Joseph, back in Genesis, had the gift of dream interpretation. And Daniel had the gift. But both of them were so far apart from each other and did so amazing of things that I would agree with you. But guess what? If God is going to speak to you in a dream, you probably won't need it interpreted. He's going to beat you over the head with the message, <laughs> just like he did here, right? Go to Egypt. Go around this area. Go back to Israel. <laughs> Do not speak to Harad. <laughs> These weren't dreams that needed to be interpreted, right? They were very clear, very straightforward. But how else does he speak to us? Well, sometimes he can speak to us through music. Sometimes he speaks to us through scripture that we read. It can literally just be, hey, what's my daily devotion today? Oh my gosh, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Sometimes it's through pictures or a sense of calm that we get when it's like, oh my gosh, I need to make a decision and I don't know which way to go. And I know I don't, I, maybe I don't want to make this decision, but making that decision is just giving me the sense of calm even though I don't want it. Maybe that's from God. Or maybe it's a friend saying just the right thing. Or if you're like our pastor, maybe it's multiple people saying 
the right thing before you get the picture, and when he does, your wife has to stand up on the pews and then yell, yes, woohoo! <laughs> uh, I wish they were both here, so that way that would have gotten a laugh. Oh, well. <laughs> but the whole point is that God has not abandoned any of us, right? And he speaks to us all, even when we aren't listening or seeing it, right? Now, me personally, I've, I've had this happen. I've had God speak to me. And I know all of you have as well. And, and it's great. But I, I digress. So what really is the whole point of this? What is the point of Christmas? The point is that God's dream is still alive. He's speaking to you right now. You just need to listen. And God has had an amazing plan for our lives. And he not only spelled it out for us, but he made sure to speak to us so that we can help make that dream a reality. We get to be a part of it. But there's a problem. Not a single one of us is perfect. And every single one of us has sinned at some point. And we've gotten away from that plan. Right? But that word sin just means to miss the mark. And when we keep sinning, it just leads us to a place of more brokenness. And sometimes we can try to fill that brokenness with more sin. We can find temporary relief in things like alcohol or sex or maybe shopping sprees on Amazon or the mall or any number of otherworldly comforts. But when we continue to sin and just miss the mark, we only wind up coming back to more brokenness because that relief is just temporary. It never leads us to actual comfort. But there is hope. And that hope is in the dream that God spelled out for us here. That if we believe in his son, who he sent down to be born, that he helped to deliver from harm as an infant with these five dreams, so that Jesus could grow up and minister to us, and then willingly die for our sins on the cross, that we could be forgiven of our sins. For you see, when Jesus was up there on that cross, he said some important words. His final words were, it is done. But he used an important Greek word that was an accounting term that meant the debt is paid when he said it is done. That meant all the debt has been erased. All of the debt from the beginning of time to the end of time for every single person throughout all of time and space. So long as we believe in him, 
and then to prove that he had the power of life and death and the power to forgive and to give us eternal life anew with him. He rose from the grave after three days. And when we believe in this good news, we can ultimately recover from our brokenness and return to the great plan that God has for us. And God is still speaking to us even today. That's right, he is speaking to you even right now. Even if you don't believe in him, he is there trying to reach out to you and heal your brokenness. And I can attest to that. You see, before I was a believer in Jesus, I was an atheist. And this was only as of three years ago that that happened. And now while I was an atheist, you would think that Jesus would be trying to stay as far away from me because I was trying to stay as far away from him as possible. But that's not what Jesus was doing. Instead, he was there by my side. He was keeping me safe, just like he kept Jesus safe. I remember one day I was on Highway 88, and, or I-88, and I was heading back to college, and it was a really bad snowstorm. Actually, it wasn't as bad as some of those snowstorms I've been in going back to college, but I'm driving. I felt like I was as straight as I could be. And all of a sudden, here I go. I'm starting to go right into the ditch. There is nothing I could do. And I knew it. I knew exactly where I was headed. I was going into that ditch. I was getting into a car accident. There was nothing. Nothing I was going to be able to do. And yet, all of a sudden, it happened. This sense of calm just washed over me. And I just knew. I just had to let off of the gas, or actually not even do anything. Just take my foot off of the brake, off of the gas, and just hold the steering wheel steady. Not do anything. And just as I was about to get to that point of no return, and I knew there would be no return, too. I was broke. I had no money to call AAA. There was no tow truck that was going to be coming. Like, mm -mm. I didn't even know how to call a tow truck, by the way. It would have been 911. How do I do this? <laughs> just as I'm about to get to the point of no return, my tires found traction in the ice and the snow, and I start safely coming right back to the highway. And I didn't know it at the time. I thought it was just dumb <laughs> luck. But I can tell you, looking back at it now, that was God. There is no way there was anything else but God in that story. No panic came to me in that moment. There was just total peace. And I look back in my life of when I was trying to push God away, and he was still there. 
trying to enter my life, keeping me safe throughout all of those times. And all you have to do is just open your heart to him and he will do the same. Show you the times that he has entered your life to keep you safe. So today, stop closing yourself off to how God is talking to you. Open yourself up to his messages and let Jesus be who guides your path. There has never been anyone as powerful or who will give you a clearer path than Jesus. This world will only continue to confuse and deceive. But when we allow ourselves to be guided by Christ, we allow a light to illuminate the path forward that is clear. We only need to let him into our lives first. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for all of the times that you have spoken to us. I thank you for keeping everybody here safe. And I thank you for what you have done so many years ago for us in the birth of your son, Jesus. The fact that you would keep him safe and by doing so keep us safe through him. Lord, you have done time and time again great miracles in our lives, in the lives of our friends, in the lives of our family members, and in the lives of so many strangers that we don't even know. Lord, open everybody's eyes and ears. Let people see. Let them hear. Lord, we ask you to enter our lives. Ask you to be a part of our hearts right now, Lord. And we just pray this in your mighty name. Amen.